Hello and welcome to the Master of Demon Gorge podcast. Today we're talking about Ban Chao. Continuing with our theme of discussing figures and events relevant to my book, From the Wall to the Water, available now at Amazon and elsewhere. Today, let's talk about one of the great figures in China's historical pantheon of heroes, the Marquis who pacified the faraway lands, the man who endowed the Chinese language with more than one expression still current today, who remains a household name even today, the man who authorized the mission to the Roman Empire undertaken by Gan Ying, the figure in whose footsteps I traveled for the book. Today, let's talk about Ban Chao. Ban Chao lived during the second half of the Han Dynasty, the half known as the Eastern Han. A bit of background, the Han Dynasty suffered usurpation in the year 9 AD, with the usurper declaring a new Xing Dynasty. Xing, incidentally, meaning simply new. But the Han imperial clansmen weren't going to give up so easily. So, not long after, led by the man who came to be known as Emperor Guangwu of the Han, the Han imperials and their loyalists managed in 25 AD to restore their empire. To distinguish between the earlier half of the dynasty and the second restored half, we call the earlier half the Western Han and the second half the Eastern Han, based on the locations of their respective capitals. At some point, I'm sure, we'll do an episode just on the usurpation of the Han and its restoration. So Ban Chao was born into the newly restored Han Dynasty in 32 AD. And he was born into a hell of a family. His father, Ban Biao, was a great scholar and historian. His grandfather was a provincial governor, and his great-aunt was an imperial consort. Ban Chao's older brother, Ban Gu, was also a scholar and historian. Indeed, Ban Gu would inherit his father's mission to write a grand history of the first half of the Han Dynasty. Ban Biao began, and Ban Gu would continue to compose the Han Shu, the Book of the Han, one of the great classical texts of history from ancient China. Even Ban Chao's little sister, Ban Zhao, was a scholar and historian. In fact, it was she who finally finished the Book of the Han. And in her lifetime, although it was not done for a woman to hold official positions within the government, she was sought after as a tutor for empresses and princesses and imperial consorts. From behind the scenes, she exerted great influence on the politics of the Han. 
Interestingly, although of course Ban Chao would go on to great fame himself, today's episode is about him after all. At the time when people spoke of the three Bans, the three famous member of the Ban family, they probably didn't include Ban Chao in the three. They probably meant his father Ban Biao, his older brother Ban Gu, and his little sister. Banjiao. That may strike you as puzzling, if Banjiao went on to achieve great fame. But the thing is, Banjiao was almost the black sheep of the family, in that he didn't follow the family tradition of becoming a scholar and historian. He began that way. Given his background, he was expected to. Follow his family members' footsteps into a career as a scholar Mandarin, and for a time he was employed in a secretarial position within the Han bureaucracy. But the famous story goes that one day, after copying out official documents for hours, a fed-up Ban Chao threw his writing brush against the wall, and declared that. The right and proper destiny for a man of ambition should be a military life. And sometime after that, Ban Chao indeed went and enlisted in the army. In so doing, he gave the Chinese language the expression "tobi chongrong" to throw away the pen and put on a soldier's robe. It is still widely used today. To describe young people who, as my grandparents did at the outset of the Second World War, abandoned the student's path in order to take up arms to fight for their country. After that dramatic beginning, though, Ban Chao initially seemed to have trouble gaining much traction in his military career. Records show that Emperor Mingdi appointed him to a post. But soon afterward, Ban Chao was fired from it, and little was then written about Ban Chao's career until he was over forty. In seventy-three A.D., Ban Chao followed another general, a man named Dou Gu, on a northwestern campaign against the Shunlu, the people who haunted China's borders for centuries, and whom. French historian Joseph de Guigne identified with the Huns, who later invaded Europe. The Han Dynasty had already fought the Shonu repeatedly, of course. Much of Emperor Wu Di's reign during the Western Han Dynasty was dedicated to combating this foreign foe. Writing at that time, the grand historian Sima Qian. Described this implacable enemy as the proud sons of heaven, Tianzhijiaozi, a phrase that at once seems almost admiring, and tells us something about the unconquerable spirit of the Shunlu. The Western Han, after protracted wars, had more or less beaten back the Shunlu. But during the period of usurpation, the Han Empire lost control of all the territories that it had won. 
So now another war was in the offing. At Lake Balikun in what is now northeastern Xinjiang, Ban Chao led a detachment of Han troops to a brilliant victory. That won him the favor and trust of his commanding general, who now entrusted him with a special mission. An embassy to the kingdom of Shan Shan, also known as the kingdom of Lolan. The kingdom of Lolan is a fascinating and mysterious subject in its own right. It was an ancient state in the Tarim Basin in today's Xinjiang, populated by a racially Caucasian people, who may have been Tocharians and probably spoke Tocharian, that extinct Indo-European language. How do we know these things? Because of mummies dug up from the area, preserved by the dry weather, including the so-called Beauty of Lolan, excavated in 1980, and the archaeological work done by the American sinologist Victor Mayer. To the Han Dynasty Chinese, though, the importance of Lolan was that it was an independent polity that could be persuaded to side with the Chinese against the Shonu, but might just as easily side with their enemies. So now Ban Chao was to take a small detachment of troops to travel to Lolan as an envoy from the Celestial Court to convince the ruler of Lolan to ally with the Han. Ban Chao gathered a group of just 36 soldiers, including himself, and set off on his mission. Upon arriving at Lolan, Ban Chao and his men initially received a very warm welcome. Within a few days, however, the king of Lolan suddenly became unavailable to the Chinese ambassador. Ban Chao knew what was up, just as the Chinese sought an alliance with the Lolan. So the Xiongnu was doing the same. A sudden shift in the king's attitude towards the Chinese could mean only one thing. A delegation from the Xiongnu had also arrived. So Ban Chao called his men together, and on this occasion, he endowed the Chinese language with another expression. One who fears to enter the tiger's den cannot return with a tiger cub. The 36 of them, Ban Chao told his soldiers, were already in the tiger's den. If the Xiongnu embassy were to succeed in persuading the king of Lolan to ally with them, then the first thing the king would do was to kill the Chinese delegates and hand their severed heads to the Xiongnu as a sign of his sincerity. So, to quote James Bond, Ban Chao must have said something to his troops to the effect of, some men are coming to kill us, we're going to kill them first. Having gathered intel on where the Xiongnu delegates were staying in the city, in the middle of the night, Ban Chao and his men 
set fire to the Shonu quarters. In the chaos, they put dozens of the Shonu to the sword, before the rest burned to death. Terrified, the king of Lolan declared his undying fealty to Han China. Man Chao then went on to the kingdom of Yutian. Again, this was a rather mysterious Tarim Basin kingdom that's been lost to history. Its people are believed to have spoken Saka, an Eastern Iranian language. And again, the king of Yutian was reluctant to join the Chinese. The source of his discomfort was substantially his chief priest. The people of Yutian, according to Chinese sources, put great faith in their shamanistic religion, so that the priest held great sway. And the priest claimed that the horse, ridden by the Chinese ambassador, needed to be sacrificed to the gods. Ban Chao said, Come and get it. When the priest reached for his horse, Ban Chao drew his sword and decapitated the man. The king of Yutian now did as the king of Lolan had done, begged for Ban Chao's forgiveness, and declared undying fealty to the Han Empire. Starting in the late 70s AD through the 90s, Ban Chao became China's man in charge of dealing with the so-called Western lands, today's Xinjiang and the Central Asia beyond. Through a judicious combination of war and diplomacy, Ban Chao gradually brought the many states of the region into the Han Empire's fold. In 1980, the Kushan Empire, centered on today's Uzbekistan and Afghanistan, invaded Xinjiang with some 70,000 troops. Ban Chao beat them back. Then in 94 AD, Ban Chao finally brought to heel the last states in the area that remained recalcitrant and would challenge Han power. All 50-something states in the area now answered to the Chinese emperor. The following year, the emperor granted him the title of Dingyuanhou, which means the marquis who pacified faraway lands. Ban Chao's work was finally done, and yet it was also never really done. The delicate Alliances and politics of the area required constant management, and Ban Chao oversaw the situation there for several more years. It was during this time, in 97 AD, that he authorized his deputy, Gan Ying, to travel farther westward than any Chinese had done in order to make contact with the Roman Empire. The subject of my book. Until in 180, at the age of 68, Ban Chao wrote to the emperor and begged for permission to retire. 
With permission finally granted, Ban Chao returned to the capital city of Luoyang in 102 AD, at the age of 70. Sadly, he never got a chance to enjoy retirement. Only a month after returning home, he fell ill and died. But for his inspiring words and daring deeds, Ban Chao entered Chinese history books as a great hero. In the nearly two thousand years since his death, he has been held up as an exemplar for subsequent generations to emulate. Most of us would call that a life well lived. This has been M O D G. Thank you for listening.